Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Rosie Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Renee J. Johnson. And today we have the consultant to the civil rights movement, Breon Wells, and U.S. Army veteran and counselor, Christian Howard. Everybody drink rose. Rose. So we sip rose. We gonna sip rose. Rose. Sip rose. Baby girl, she don't play. So we sip rose. We're gonna sip rose. That rose hour, baby. Sip rose. Everything will be wow. We are back for episode three, friends. Tinder Ben has served us up a pretty cool rose today. It's a sparkling rose. It's a Rufino sparkling rose. It's fresh and fragrant with notes of strawberry and slight hints of rose petals. This bubbly wine has flavors of red berries and white fruits that linger through the finish. Oh, well, this is pretty dope. I love a Rufino, and if you ever go to brunch here in D.C., it's usually one of the roses that they use. It's amazing. Pew, pew. It is delicious. It is delicious. Well, I'm excited about our guest today, and especially our first guest, uh, Breon. Yes, very, two very smart individuals. This is a lot of knowledge to take in. Please get your notepad, you know, audio notes, all of that. This is, you know, a lot of information you know, to take in. Well, I'm excited to talk with Brian and about what he does in the civil rights movement as a consultant. So let's get into the first interview. Yes, man, let's get it. Oh, that was such a great interview. Thanks so much, Brian. We learned a lot of things in that interview for people to move forward and go vote. Next up, the amazing, talented, enchantress, Christian Howard. All right, all right, all right. I am so excited. We have a studio audience today. Let's hear it, audience. Yes. Welcome to the Rose Hour podcast. I'm Renee J. Johnson, and I'm here with an amazing, beautiful, smart, important woman, Christian Howard. That was so cute. Thank you. Well, the queen needs an introduction, so um, you shall have one. Thank you, darling. Thank you. We are so glad you are here today and talking with us. Yes, I am glad to be here. Thank yes. you. Well, here, let's cheers. Because mm-hmm. this is the rose hour we're supposed to drink, right? So, Christian. Yes. Tell the people who you are, where you from, who you be, what you do. I feel like that is going to be a long story. Give us like two minutes. I got you. <laughs> um, okay, so I am from California. I was born in L.A., raised in San Bernardino. I think um, people should understand that San Bernardino is not the valley. Wasn't like no like valley girl. I was in the desert. So you're um, not like the girls from Clueless. You're not not at all. Okay. Not at all. I was the girl from San Bernardino, which is a town. It's more so of a hood. It was gang infested. Mm. Um, so sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it made me who I am today. So I'm very happy about it. Um, so yeah, I was born. I was born in LA. My whole family, like my mother's side, is from LA. My dad's side is from San Bernardino. Um, 
I, you know, just went through life being like the only child, a very, I want to say, gifted individual, um, which my parents poured into me. Then I went to Clark Atlanta University. HBCU. Yes, the illustrious Clark Atlanta University. Yes, illustrious. <laughs> and um, on my way there, I, I grew up and I always wanted to be a medical doctor. I wanted oh. to be an obstetrician, a gynecologist, or like help cure cancer. I yes. told my aunt this when I was like seven years old. But when I turned uh, 17, um, my first fiance was murdered. <gasps> And um, I was all over like the front, the, it's called The Sun, which is our newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I was on the mm-hmm. front page of the news and like, it was a very, very traumatic and disturbing. Wow. Um, and so from that moment, I wanted to understand the behaviors of our people, mm. um, especially because like it's his own homeboy killed him. Oh God. And so that was like, what kind of led me into psychology. And so I went to Clark Atlanta University studying psychology. Um, after that, I went to the military. Uh, yes, thank I, you for your service to our country. No problem. <laughs> you built this joint. Thank you. We appreciate you. A little bit. <laughs> um, and then I I went to get my master's in clinical mental health counseling, which allowed me to become an LPC. And so I like to think of myself as an advocate for the underserved yeah. populations. And for me, that's majority black individuals. Um, I'm really big. And I don't, and when I say black individuals, doesn't mean that I'm giving up on all the other minorities because I do believe that I'm half Latina. So don't blame me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but I just think that like, Historically, we know the post-traumatic slave syndrome. We understand like our history, our culture. Right, right. Um, we know what got it, what brought us here today. And I think you can go to any city in America, any like state in America, and find um, an impoverished area where it's mostly Black individuals. Yes, and that's actually really sad because it's like we talk about how wealth creation and how communities are supposed to be empowering, but it's like we're all forced, right? And we are put into these communities. Like I'm from Chicago. And Mm -hmm. if you notice certain parts of Chicago, uh, it's saturated with just Black people. There's no food, so there's food deserts. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no good schools, so there's a lack of education and support. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yet there's liquor stores, there's jails, there's a police station. And it's like the resources that we put into these communities are exactly what we're supposed to expect from them. Right. And and which is horrible, right? Yeah. And you just said you're from Chicago, that's how it was. LA, you can find the same thing. DC, we exactly. see it every day. Um and it's it's the system. It was designed this way. This yes. is what they wanted from us. And so um in my role like cuz I also I'm getting my PhD in yes. international psychology with a concentration in organization and systems and my dissertation what I want to focus on is how corporate social responsibility can help bridge that gap in yes. our communities because like we hear a lot about development and I went to a lot of like um development um like uh, uh conferences and things like that here in DC mm-hmm. And I asked individuals, like, do you really want to, because I work in the homeless, with the homeless population and trying to end homelessness here in D.C. And so you hear a lot about affordable housing. But what is affordable housing? Right. Whose affordability are we talking about? Exactly. And these developers don't really want to give us affordable housing because it doesn't benefit their business. Exactly. But if we look at the corporate social responsibility aspect, then you can understand how it does benefit your business. And if you really do bring businesses and more 
uh, healthy foods and more opportunities to these communities, I believe our people want to work. People want to be better. They want to advance. They don't want to stay in these communities. If you if you look at someone like some of my consumers and you talk to them and um, you try to move them and help them find apartments and navigate the D.C. world, they'll let you know, like, I'm from Southeast. I don't want to live there. I want to move to Northwest to where I can have I can be exposed. Exactly. So, like, if you don't bring opportunities to these areas, then what are we going to do and how are we going to get better? And then you're going to just keep in this bandaid over it that does really solve the problem right it doesn't fix anything it just gives it a soft like oh appearance so the optics of it is oh we solved some sort of problem but there's an intersectionality between all of this and Mm. band-aids no longer work they never did but like we got to do more right because we're seeing a surge of more people being impacted Mm -hmm. and at more of an alarming rate where things are detrimental to these people like I mean, I'm very blessed and thankful that my parents were able to do what they needed to do to Mm -hmm. move to the suburbs, to live, you know, the suburbs of Chicago. Right. But not everybody's afforded those opportunities, you know. And and let's be honest, the suburbs ain't that much better. Exactly. Right. (laughs) I mean, and and if we think about it, like I tell people every day, like we're dealing what we're dealing with right now in 2020 are the residual effects from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the yeah. crack epidemic, the whole like, um, what is it? The stop and frisk. Like we're dealing with yes. all of that, the whole welfare and uh, 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 fathers couldn't be in the home. And so the single mother, yes. mother syndrome came along. Like we're dealing with all the re- residual effects of that. And that is why we have an alarming number of homeless individuals. You're right. And I would also say because one, I have military family mm-hmm. and my partner is a veteran himself. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, right? What do we invest in veterans? Not, not, not a lot. I think they're doing better now. But even when I was serving, I had to. Oh yeah, because you're a vet, too. right? And so I had to get. I didn't have to, but I got out the military because they only recognize social workers. Yes. They don't recognize licensed professional counselors. And not saying that social workers and licensed professional counselors one are one is better than the other. It's just a social worker is giving you how to navigate social services. Right. They do therapy as well, but a licensed professional counselor who is in mental health or is going to treat that trauma. Is going to do psychotherapy, right. talk therapy, and you know help with the neuroplasticity. So to me, I feel like for Tricare and anyone else to not recognize Mm -hmm. an LPC is kind of doing our soldiers a disservice, right? Yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate the fact that like you not only have experiences from firsthand, Mm -hmm. but like you're now trying to help others. So that's really commendable. So I have a couple questions for you. I know people want to know more about like the mental health space Mm -hmm. and like self-care is like this thing now that's like, it's for the nine nines in 2020. Because <laughs> we can't say 9-9-2000 because right. we got to go run on a dance floor. But <laughs> we can't do that yet. We have enough rosé in us. Um, but like, why are we seeing this surge of more people saying you need to have self-care? What is self-care? And then how does one do self-care? So self-care is anything that soothes you. Right. So like we really want to be comforted and soothing. Like we I feel like people have been operating in this like in in hypervigilance for yes. so long. We all have post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, yeah. And and trauma, you know, transfers from generation to generation yes. in your DNA. Exactly. So we have our ancestors from slavery 
trauma within our coded DNA. So yes. Exactly. Yes. And so that's why a lot of like um, psychologists who came before me, they believe in like the post-traumatic slave disorder, mm-hmm. which is just PTSD, right? And yep. so like you said, it's the generational um uh, effects of trauma and so I really think like self-care is just something that we should have been we should have been doing a long time ago but we didn't have the luxury right of doing that right and and that's why you hear a lot of people like saying self-care is like getting your hair done your nails done going to the spa working out like but but honestly self-care can be getting some sleep oh yes self-care could be like I just want to sit in his room and just be quiet for a little bit yes. self-care could be is could be being, being present in the moment. Mm. We're multitasking so much. Yeah. But, and, and not like my black man, I love y'all too, but our black women, like we don't understand that we have higher rate. We have a higher level of getting like depression and like, oh, yes. And, and, and then we're looked at to be this strong black woman. Like I tell this story all the time and I tell it not to like talk down on myself as a therapist. Cause I believe I'm a great therapist. You are, but, cause you're giving me therapy. <laughs> but I just believe that like, we have to talk about like cultural competency and talk about like the flaws and how we, our brains have been constructed from society. I remember being at the, I was an intern at the VA hospital in the emergency room and a black woman came into the emergency room and she was like crying and she was distraught and she was stressed out. And she was just saying like, and a a lot, it wasn't like anything that happened. It was more so like life, like paying bills and just getting by and just navigating life. And I was just sitting back like, and at the time my supervisor was a social, social worker who was like a little bit older. And at the time I'm, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna let you just do the assessment. Go ahead. And so I'm just sitting and I'm listening. I'm like, I looked at him, I'm like, um, when she walked out, I said, I don't really think she needs anything right now. Like she, she this is normal. Yeah. And he, he said, why do you think that's normal? And, and I was just like, Because this is what I've experienced. <laughs> I'm like, it's yeah. life, right? Yeah. And he's like, no, she should be assessed. Uh, she should go up and get a psychiatric assessment because this is not normal. And we shouldn't. And I said, you know what? I looked at her because I thought she was a strong black woman. And that's what we're supposed to do. And he's like that. And that's something we have to peel back. Right. And so ever since that moment, I'm like, no, like everybody's tolerance, their resiliency is so different. Yeah. That even if you come in here and tell me like I broke my toe and I am in, I'm distraught and like this is just painful and and like I can't figure out life. I'm going to believe you yeah. because for you, that is something big for me. Yeah. No, but, but for you, that that's what it is. Yeah. And it's also about experiences, right? Mm-hmm. The experiences that one has in their life is only true to them and that's their reality. Right. And so I cannot put the burden of my experiences and how I would do something onto someone else. Right. And I feel like we do that a lot, but only not that black woman, especially get the burden of other people's experiences put on them. Yes. And we're supposed to react as they want us to mm-hmm. versus, oh, you are having a moment of what you've experienced and what you need mm-hmm. and what you have to figure out. It's just interesting how as a group of people, you know, generalizing, we are all treated the same. It's so just crazy when it comes to that whole mental health space that mm-hmm. we're all strong. 
I think it's only for women and black women because That's other races, nobody yes, else. Yeah, other nobody races, else. no. And I even think like other men, but our black men, I feel it's the same way. Like, I don't well, know. they have it a little different. It's more like they are supposed to be angry all the time. I don't even think it's more so. Okay, so do you guys re- do you remember the episode on being Mary Jane? where it was like this black man who was, okay. okay. So it was like this black man who was going through a lot at the office. He was dealing with, he was dealing with so much between like his, his um, home, his office and everything else. I think that like, I think that black women are supposed to be strong and we're looked at to be strong in the backbone of the family. But I think that black men are looked at to be leaders and like the leader of the family. And if they can't do that, it's, it's seen, it, it, it looks at, I mean, we, tell black men like if you're not a leader then you're really not a man yes and that's where i think where i was coming from when the anger right because they are supposed to be a threat yes to society Mm -hmm. and so when they walk around into a space they don't know what other people projection of them is Mm -hmm. especially other people who are not of color and some of color and they have to assimilate very quickly in order to make sure that they stay alive they sh- they should yeah yeah which which is a horrible thing exactly. to live by because you're ba- you're basically living in hyper vigilance all the time all the time I, I mean it, it's kind of sad and I like I don't want to say like black women struggle and black men struggle like like one is greater than the other I just we think are they're, they're struggling but I think together. they're <laughs> right and they're so different that like I love that like I have brothers right now in my field who are like making safe spaces for men to talk yes and to talk about like their feelings and their emotions and things like that and for me as a woman who was raised by like all men basically like I have literally yeah. like eight uncles <laughs> and my dad is like my best friend and I like I understand the pain yeah because to see like for a black man to be known as like I have to provide protect and prevent profess and then from the beginning of our time in mm-hmm. America that was stripped from you yes and you, you have, have to, to watch, watch it exactly and so just think about the psyche of a man now in that's 2020 that trauma Coded in the DNA. Yes. It's a cycle. It is. It's a cycle. And it's just, to me, I just think that the black community right now, we need to depend on each other way more than we have. We need to lean on each other. Agreed. And I I think that like we need to come together and like even from the whole classism, I feel like our elite black individuals like Mm. come down a notch. Yes. And understand that like the people who may live in Southeast still, they need us too. Right. And don't do the fake thing because you know, I love, I love black people, Mm -hmm. but it feels like when they get to certain statuses, we, we forget sometimes who we really are. Mm-hmm. You move to D.C. from whatever city you from, from wherever part of the country you are from, and you come here, recreate yourself, and then you forget, well, you just one paycheck away as well from mm-hmm. poverty or not paying your rent or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people forget their struggles mm-hmm. and don't want to give back to make sure that other people understand that they can make it to and be an example. So I, I hear exactly what you're saying in mm-hmm. this. And what we need to do, I think personally for, for black families mm-hmm. is working on that. Yes. Teaching young men how to be young men. Yes. And not and, grow and up it, so fast. And that, exactly. <laughs> like young black boys do not know how to be a young black boy. Our young black women don't even know how to be young black women. Like, yeah, well, I, I they think have that, a baby's younger, no, trying to <laughs> live life differently. It's, I it's, even think about the women we see now on Instagram. Like, yo, you yeah. look, you look like you're 25. I would, I still look like I'm 19. 
Like if I, I, if don't I look teen, but <laughs> I definitely don't look like I'm approaching the age approach. Right. I mean, but. but like if you just dress down and don't like when I'm working out, like my friend, my my boyfriend is always like, "You look like somebody child." And I'm like, "I'm sorry, I'm not that developed and like makeup and like but that's you know not what? me." But and not only is it not you, but it's what makes you comfortable being you, right? Exactly. And I think that's the thing that we're not seeing, especially on Instagram. The reason a lot of these young women do what they do is because they're not happy with themselves. At all. They're they're happy when they think somebody else likes their picture. Exactly. And they're doing these things because it's like, I want more likes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, girl, no, you need some (laughs) self-care. And that's what I was about to say. Like, when you're happy with self, that's self-care too. Like, self-care can literally be like, like, I journal a lot. And I know some people might not like to journal, but I journal literally probably every day. And (laughs) I like to just sit and meditate and journal and like affirmations are just telling myself like, girl, you're going to get get through today. Like you're going to, you're going to kill today. Like you're going to smash it. You're smart. Like, and I I just think that we have to learn how to manifest and even manifesting like more positive things in your life is self-care. Yes. And and you are what you think. Yes. You you become what you say. And yes. if we change the narrative to this always happens to I made this happen. I believe this should happen. I desire, want, and need this for me. Mm-hmm. It'll happen. It, it will. may not be in our time. But it will happen. But it will happen. I, I, I was reading a friend's uh, Instagram story before I came here. And I loved, loved her Instagram like story because she was talking about like manifestation and how some people say like, you don't tell the world, like you don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. Or you don't. Oh, girl, my dad used to say that all the time. <laughs> and as a kid, I was like, this man is crazy. Right. But now. But see, I still don't even believe in that because for me, I'm like, I'm a very transparent individual. Like a lot of people hate my transparency, my family, my boyfriend, they hate it. They're like, why do you always got to tell everything? And for me, I'm like, if I'm comfortable with it, I'm going to say it. And then not even that, but if I believe, so I, I'm a little spiritual. Yes, you're but, very spiritual. Right, <laughs> and, and and I believe that like what's for you is for you. And if God, if I put it out there in the world, the universe and God is going to meet me halfway. So part of my manifestation is the work, yes. right? Faith without work is dead. So part of my manif- manifestation is the work that I'm doing. And so I will say like, I'm going to have my own private practice next year. I'm going to like buy a house or I'm about to, I'm going to be like a administrator at X, Y, and Z or the executive. Like I don't mind saying that because this is me speaking it into existence and whether it's writing it down on my journal or writing it on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't think that anybody in the universe can block that because like God said, I wouldn't leave you or forsake you, right? Very true. And then the the power of the mind, our brain, we are so, like it's waves that we're running on, right? Like if you think about like meditation and yoga and um, like, they're literally just giving you waves. It's yeah. a wavelength that yeah. you're on and that you put into the universe and things just kind of conspire and they come together and make things happen. Yeah, but for the left hand, right hand thing, <laughs> I think I get it because one thing my dad was really trying to instill with me in that comment was, I don't need to say anything. Mm-hmm. If I believe I can do it and I want it to manifest, my left hand doesn't need to know that my right hand is working. Gotcha. Because my right hand is so busy working, we ain't got time to talk about it. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people get into the space of, if I'm boisterous about it, and I tell everybody about it, 
oh, it's going to happen. But it's not about that. It's, it's about not. the belief system. It is. It's about the work you put. It's exactly what you said. And, and it's like, let's, let's, let's not put everything out there on Instagram, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Let's have some sort of discretion and privacy. And A balance. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I also learned in life many times over. You can't tell everybody everything because people will try to steal your dreams. Now, they won't ever become their dream, right? Because it's yours. Yeah. They, it will never become theirs because it's not the same manifestation that they want to put into it. Right. They just want something because you got it. So you just got to be careful because you just never want to. I just, that's just. No, no, I, no. And no, I and, I, and I, re- I respect that and I receive it and accept it. I just think that like, I don't know, my, my brain over time in life, I just feel like at the end of the day, you can try and still and do whatever you feel like you need to do. But if it's not yours, it's not that's yours. That's very true. It's very true. You cannot, you can't take my dream and make it yours. Exactly. But I ain't gonna tell you about it. That's and, just and, me. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's never gonna be executed the way that I, I need it because. Yes, they can't. Exactly. it's yours. Exactly. It's and then, yours. And then to me, I'm like, it's, a, it's enough space. And this is what I want people to understand. And this, especially in a black community, I feel like because we've been fed crumbs so much that we don't believe that it's enough space for us to all eat. Ooh. I just have to take a sip because that was a word. It's so, when I say that entrepreneurship, like you can say, this is what I think that black people don't understand about our gifts, right? And I I love, and people always ask me like, why do you celebrate this? I love the fact that our black culture, we're like, sorry guys, because this is like a twofold, like selling drugs and like doing all of that. (laughs) And the reason why I say that, because we were entrepreneurs back then. Yes, the original. We knew how to do business. Right. Like you, you knew how to market. You knew how to scale your business. You knew how to like price it out. Like we were doing the business system was created by blacks. Black people created the bartering. I mean, somebody's probably going to Google this and be like, oh, you wrong. No, because everything you Google ain't right. Exactly. It's not always recorded by the non person that won. It's exactly. by the victor. Exactly. So we ain't win nothing. Right. Because slavery was a long time. Right. And we had to get through it. We still getting through it. Still still (laughs) getting through it. So how do you think people were able to thrive and create bartering? Like, we are so smart, intelligent. And I'm glad it's Black History Month because I'm going to go in. But we are so smart, intelligent, and, like, creative. and We have so many skills that, to me, I feel like at one point, when do we wake up? Like, yes. like, like I, I just, I, I don't want to say hate or despise right now, but I just like Kanye in some ways because at the beginning he was such a genius. Mm-hmm. And then now he have says such like things that just don't make sense. Hurtful but things. Yeah. Very right. But, but what I, what I think, and I, and I think him and I are kind of like in some ways because my delivery can kind of be bad, like off or sometimes, mm-hmm. but what I think he was trying to say when he said we're still in slavery and all of this and that slavery was a choice is because and um, Steve Biko, I always say his last name wrong, Biko or Biko, I think mm-hmm. it's Biko. Mm-hmm. He has a book and he says the the war on um, black individuals is not even physical anymore. It's a it's a oh. conscious war, right? Oh, yes. And so Definitely. I think that like once we realize how smart we are mm-hmm. and how strong and intelligent that we are, we can go out there and do any and everything that we want. Exactly. And also with that, it seems like we need to learn 
It's Black History Month, y'all. Yeah. We need to learn how to be like other cultures mm-hmm. and build communities in a real sense of creation. Or we need to learn how to be like our real culture. Back when we had, you know, what, what was that in uh, um, Oklahoma? I mean, hey. I mean, we, we had use, things. We can use that too. We need to do something different. And basically we need to build that community back yes. and not feel like it's a rat race. And I yes. got to outdo you because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to have something. And it's like, no, no, no. Because if we all work together and create one thing, then that's something that we can build to build something else. Mm-hmm. That's something else we can build to something else. And we can all have what we want. Exactly. And and so I know I know we talked about like mental health, but I just want to let people know that this is mental health. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think that mental health is about a diagnosis and a disorder, but it's really like if you look into the DSM-5 and read things, there are V codes that literally say like, transitioning, adjustment, stress disorder, mm. acute stress disorder. Like mm-hmm. there's, there are so many disorders that like, that you can kind of fall under that is not like, uh, um, that, that won't cause for like your job or somebody to say like, you can't work anymore. Right. It's literally about life. You're transitioning through life, life phases, like women, women like been, um, going into like the menopause age, like, that's in the DSM-5. Yet women are unable to take off work for it. And, and they should. Exactly. And that's what I fight for on my day job. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I, I mean, like, also with menstruation, right? Yes. That is a very tumultuous time for yes. a lot of young women and older women. Yes. And, and any woman who's uh, having a menstrual. Mm-hmm. And there's premenstrual issues that people have. And post, yes, you can't take off work. That is really stressful in itself. It is. And and I think that like it, it impacts your functioning. So again, it is a, it's a health issue. But if we really talk about like the systems and everything else, and I, to be honest with, with everyone, I feel like I know a lot of people don't respect the mental health field, but I think it should be a little bit more respected in so many ways. We all got problems. Not even that, but like it, it impacts every level of our operation Mm -hmm. in the world. Right. So like, like even when I moved into like international psychology and um, I got a chance to go to South Africa last year to do like some work there for school and we literally like talked to nonprofits, governments. We talked to the consumers there. We like we met with so many different levels of mm-hmm. how the state ran. Like that's psychology. Yeah, marketing is psychology. Is literally saying how do I impact your brain to make you think a certain way? Exactly. Well, and we see that all the time with branding. Yes, because right. McDonald's exactly. did it right. Yes. Burger King has done it. Nike, Starbucks. It's all about how they create their logos, what they are supposed to attract, and all of that. So I. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. Totally understand. Well, I have one last question. Girl, uh-huh. I just could talk to you all day, but you already know that. Yeah, but you're going to ask this question. I ain't even figured it out. Okay, well, I'll ask you a different type okay, go of ahead. question. Go ahead. If you could be a rosé, what color rosé would you be? Ooh. Because like, you know, in bottles. I wish I just had something that was purple because that is my favorite. <laughs> That is my favorite. That is my favorite color. And I just think that like, I don't know, like I, I need anything that's purple, but um, (laughs) actually we can, we can actually talk about that. Why is rosé pink? I don't, I mean, it's the grapes, but maybe, right. Cause it's grapes. uh Grapes are purple. Maybe there's a way prior to fermentation 
We can make it a little darker, right? Maybe this is a business venture. I'm, I'm with it. Let's go. Let's, let's use what we talked about. Do some self-care. Yes. And care for these grapes to turn purple and make purple rosé. Hey. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Christian Howard. Thank you so much. This okay. was fun. Yes. I mean, we could have kept going. I mean, yeah. we're already on 30 minutes. I know. Uh, <laughs> but where can people find you? Boom. So you can find me on any social media outlet at Christian Ooh, Lachanae. See, this is where I become real black. Uh, Christian Lachanae. Um, but I also have a website and it's ChristianLachanae.com. And yeah, just come check me out. I do all things therapy. Can you spell that, that Lachanae. Uh, okay. So my mom was a little, little hood over there. She, uh, Her name is Shanae. And we were from LA. So I told her she put that LA on there. Yes. But it's L-A-C-H-A-N-E-A. And it's Christian like the religion. So at Christian Lachanae. All right. Well, thanks, Christian. No problem. Well, sips and parade and cheers. Yes, thank you. Wow. Thanks, Christian. So many gems from you, too. This definitely was the gem episode. Want to thank both of my guests, Brian Wells and Christian Howard. Want to also thank the amazing sound engineers, producers to make this show happen. Rufino Rosé was the drink of the day. If you want to contact us, reach out. Email <laughs> Renee at theroséhourpodcast.com. Also, follow us on social media. We're the Rosé Hour Podcast. We're everywhere you are as well. Again, thanks for joining us this last episode. We're so happy we're on our third. Pew, 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 pew. And we have so many more guests that you guys are going to love. So stay tuned to next Wednesday when we release our next episode. Until then, friends, sip, sip, hooray. We sip a rose. Round the world. We sip a rose. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Rose Hour podcast. And I am so excited to be here with the amazing, fabulous extremely innovatively smart attorney at law entrepreneur to the policy peeps Brian Wells I mean all those adjectives <laughs> I, I don't know how to take it but thank you yes. always an honor yes. you know we, we go way back way to the Capitol Hill days to where there would be a moment that you see another black person walking the halls. Absolutely, which was rare. Which was rare. And you felt like the ancestor said, take me with you. Yes. <laughs> Not at them, my child. And you'd be like, you feel it too. Yes. We go way back, man. Like, your Senate experience, like, what... What, how did you even get there? Like, let's talk about your background first. Yeah. Like, how did you get to D.C. politics and all of that? Like, t- 
tell us about you. So first of all, again, thank you for having me on the show. Congrats on this show. I'd be remiss being a podcaster myself. <laughs> it is it is hard work, but it is worthy work. Yes, and shout out. Uh, go ahead and t- drop your podcast name. It's called Leverage. Politics, Policy, and Influence, of which I co-hosted with the amazing Crystal High. Hey, Crystal! Yeah, we are about to be in September two years strong. And we really use that podcast to help people find their inner advocate um, and be able to figure out these strategies and use their social and political capital um, for what it's worth. Yes, we are here for that. Okay, now tell us more, more, more. Yeah, so, you know, about me and how I ended up getting even into the Capitol Hill space. So um, I was an Air Force brat. Uh, born actually in Spain, um, lived in Germany, Turkey, England. Um, but my parents are born and raised in Southeast DC. Wow. And my mother, uh, she always instilled in my brother and I to always carry your resume with you and dress for where you're going. Yes. So I was where that. where you at. Exactly. I was that awkward kid that didn't know where he was going in a three-piece suit on the playground. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, you look like you were going to court to defend somebody. Right. They was like, who is this nerd? Know. What is this nerd? You know, they hollering at a nerd now, but That's they was right. like, who, what is this nerd? The nerd's winning. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, um, I intentionally went to um, conservative uh, right-leaning mm-hmm. institutions um, to gain, you know, my undergrad and my graduate degree uh, because it was important for me to make sure since politics is about the other side and learning how other people think, right. I'd be a monkey's uncle if I was going to pay fifty and $30,000 a year for you to tell me what I already believe, right? Yes. And so um, I was going to um, undergrad at Messiah College in Grantham, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uber conservative like very much conservative sounds right and what what i didn't know is 21 of us would be on the hill immediately after graduating and of course i was the only (laughs) left-leaning one of the bunch (laughs) um and but we were getting paid at that time to now have you know conversations that we'd already had discussions on policy but we also had a relationship with in some ways helped me to really be able to bring home the goods as a legislative strategist wow um, and so I remember starting um, in Albert Wynn's office of the Fourth District of Maryland. Yes. Do y'all uh, re- okay, if y'all don't know who Albert Wynn, you got to get a little background about Albert Wynn. I mean, you know, he 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 was a CBC member. Yes. Um, which we need to say shout out to the CBC at 54 members right now. <laughs> you know, a, a shout out, obviously, to Elijah Cummings. Yeah. Um, we were at 55 and, and the legacy that he left. But us. hopefully his... Um, widow Correct. will be taking on his seats so yeah. we'll back up in a number. That is a race people should very much look forward to um, yes. and, and really get invested in. Um, but, you know, uh, Al Wynn is very much in big in the tech space mm-hmm. and in um, environmental space. Yeah. Uh, um, at that time, he was on the education committee. Um, and so, you know, I got my start there and, and cut my teeth. Um, and But I was only in the house side for a year because mm-hmm. uh, it's 435 members and and, you know, it's every two years, it's people. a lot to do. So yeah. I'm a Senate elitist. I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to own it. As soon as I could, I went over and started working for Senator Bill Nelson of Florida. Yes. Um, and then did six years on the Senate Armed Service Committee. So they oversee our national security infrastructure. Right. Right. Um, and it was important for me. I think that was the first time being there, seeing how big the budget is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the annual budget this year was $750 billion when it's all said and done. Um, and so that's per year. 
Right. That's that's a large, you know, space. So I got to see firsthand that money moves. Yes. Um, and that this money moves big infrastructure. This is where our heart is, right? Yeah. Where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. America, we invest a lot of money yes, in do. our national security apparatus. Um, but then... I was also like, there's very few, to your point, I was the only person of color. Mm -hmm. And so it really started to drive home this message that we need to be at the table. Yes. Especially at the public policy table, because yes. often we hear things differently. Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes I'd be at the table and, and as legislation and as we're dealing with legislation, something would strike me wrong and I'd be like, well, wait a minute, this has bad implications for us. Mm. And so it's important that at every level in every space of society that we occupy those spaces yes. with intentionality, right? That yeah. we occupy these spaces knowing where we're going, why we're there, and kind of being tied to that. Um, and so then, you know, long story short, I spent eight years on Capitol Hill. And because of that experience of being a few, like shout out to David Johns, because I was the only oh other my one God, yes. on the committee. He was on Fort the health committee and I was on the SAS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was very, 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 very few African-Americans or actually any people of color. Um, Deidre, shout out to her. Yep. She was with then majority leader, um, Senator Reid. Uh -huh. um, and like, it was like literally we would have the... The lunch on Tuesdays, was yeah, it? was it? Wednesdays. Wednesdays. We would do it every yes. lunch on Wednesdays so to make sure we did not um, burn down any infrastructure. Yes. It was a good space, a safe space for us to get off our chest where we needed to so that we could go back to our offices yes. and be the strategic people that we needed to be yeah. um, in that hour. And so when I left Capitol Hill, I started what was called the Daniel Initiative. Oh, um, yeah. it's, a, it's a consulting firm. We do government relations and strategic communications, or to say it otherwise, um, I'm a social impact and legislative strategists. So oh, we yes. help people, uh, particularly those that are historically marginalized and on the mm -hmm. edges of, you know, of, of society, and we help them gain their rightful seat in these public policy tables. We help them learn how to navigate these spaces right. um, because even if we look at the civil rights movement, you know, MLK was not just out there uh, doing busboy cots and sit-ins. Right. The end of it was legislative ask or a legislative demand that right. got us the receipts mm -hmm. that we needed. And so we specialize in receipts. Yes. <laughs> you know, rhetoric ain't nothing for us if you're not backing them up with receipts. Well, and it also sounds like you don't just talk about it, you are about it. Absolutely. And that's what's so important. And thank you for continuing on the lineage of, you know, the policies for what uh, MLK was doing, you know, because I think a lot of people think that he was out here just making speeches, talking about let the brown and white kids play together. Right. Well, no, he was actually trying to make sure that transportation workers were paid right as well yep. and that they had fa paid family and medical leave yep. which we still don't have in this country which right. is another episode um but yeah all the work that you do um you said that you guys do a lot of work in marginalized communities correct mm -hmm. i know there might be someone out there that's like what's marginalized and yeah. marginalized and you know we we i feel like we need to do a better job of explaining certain terms to people absolutely so do you mind explaining what does that mean yeah so you know as it as it suggests marginalized that means you're on the perimeter sometimes not that you're not of worth or value and i think that that's very important yes. we're in a space and time where people have to own their narratives mm -hmm. and understand that they already possess what they need to have a seat at the table yes however the way things work comma however however comma <laughs> <laughs> the way things work, you know, it it kind of puts us in a space where the system, because mm -hmm. um, even as we know, the foundations of this country, yep. black people, 
brown people, Native Americans, people with disabilities, yes. um, um, you know, uh, white women as well. All of these people were on the margins, and we see that throughout history, yes. they began to maybe get more equality. Mm-hmm. Equity was still something that we're fighting for. Right. But the system and its foundation has been built um, and is working exactly as it was intended to. And so right. we have to make sure then that, um, number one, to your point, we are identifying those who have been historically marginalized. And the reason I use that term is because um, as opposed to communities of color, and this is why, because in the legislative you know, spaces, we can't say that 2045, which is a real number, yeah. is when Latino Americans will be the majority. African Americans will, you know, be next in line. And then, of course, you know, you have uh, Caucasian Americans there. But then not acknowledge that if we have codified in all of these languages protections for minorities. Yes. Instead of for historically marginalized communities, then we will have some of those same people with power, white, wealthy men who end up with also these alternative protections. Exactly. When it comes to the letter of the law, as we have set this forth. So we have to really be forward thinking. So when we're saying historically marginalized, we're talking about women. We're talking about people of color. Yes. We're talking about people with disabilities, right? Yes. We are talking about LGBTQ people. We're talking about those whose society has shunned and said, you don't belong here. We belong believe in bucking that status system and status quo and saying, actually, I do belong. Yes. And wow. I mean, that work has got to be, I won't say daunting, but it's tireless mm-hmm. because you're continuously always going against the grain, right? Because it is a system that's been constructed and it's doing its job right now. Yeah. And when you're raging against the machine, it, it can be really stressful and depressing. Um, I just want to know, like, how do you, like, get through those moments? Like, especially with policy, because depending on who's in power, right? Right. You know, that's that's also the other thing. Who's in power has the position, able to make the positions move. Right. We haven't seen a lot. Yeah. So how do you get through all of this? So, you know, it's, it's a couple of things real quick. Number one, my faith. Mm. roots and grounds me. So, Shout out to Jesus. Right. And, and, and I called the firm the Daniel Initiative intentionally off the biblical character Daniel. When you pare down the story, he was a consultant to kings, to people in power, right? Yep. And no one had to second guess the strategies or the advice that he was giving them. So that, you know, so number one, my faith really roots and grounds and informs everything that I do. Um, but then number two, um, I have learned coming from the policy space mm-hmm. that this is always a long-term game. Yes. Right. Like I can't count one policy that I was behind pushing or writing that didn't take less than two Congresses. That means four years. Yep. You know, so it's it's, it's not this McDonald's drive through. Oh, we need this protection. We write it today. It gets passed tomorrow. No, sometimes it's that long haul. Um, And so that perspective helps me remember. But then number three, I make sure that I make time to enjoy life. Um, Unfortunately, in the social justice space, we have too many advocates that are dying young. Yes. We have too many that are going in that grave because they they are necessary, but they also feel like if they're not showing up, nothing will happen. And so they're working late. They're working mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't get those spaces to breathe. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, you know, we have to do better be with the realization that if I'm not here <laughs> and yes. if I'm not healthy, yes. I'm of no use to this long-term thing. That we're battling systemic and institutionalized racism, systemic and institutionalized yes. sexism, and that's a long-haul game that requires all of our intention, our health, yes. and our strategy. 
Man, you are just so magical. I appreciate you. Like, I just feel like we should just go fight an initiative and join a march right now. Like, <laughs> let's go march for something. Well, I think we're going to march for the ta- uh, the tax tariffs of the wine industry tomorrow. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Um, see episode one. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so what's a, a policy right now that you're working on that you kind of want to talk about, get people to know about that we should be aware of? And then how can people engage and get a part of that that movement? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm going to talk about an issue more than just a policy um, because there are so many issues that we touch at the Daniel Initiative, but the critical one is voting rights. Mm. And the reason it is is because if you don't have access to that ballot box, you don't have your voice being heard in democracy. Yeah, and I mean, let's look at history. Right. Um, they tried to stop black people, i.e. us, mm-hmm. from voting and are continuously doing that. Yep. So that goes to show that there's a power behind the force of a vote. That's right. And when we're talking in this day and age about voting rights, we're talking in a post-Shelby County v. Holder stage, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Where the protections we used to have that were um, given to us of pre-clearance. And what does that mean? That means before these states that used to have poll taxes and literacy tests and yep. some of these other very racist barriers to one being able to access the ballot box, mm-hmm. it made that illegal. And it said before you implement these instruments, you have to get pre-clearance. You have to get your homework checked, right? Yep. <laughs> Just like the teacher. Let's make it real basic. basic. You had yes. to go and we had to check your homework yes. to make sure that it was racist free. Yeah. We had to check your homework to make sure that it was the language barriers were not put up right in these mm-hmm. artificial spaces. Mm-hmm. Well, we lost that in 2012 with Shelby County v. Holder when the Supreme Court gutted Section 4B, which caused that preclearance to now be null and void. So then we see a rise of all of these tactics meant to push people again mm-hmm. back to the margins. And that comes in the form of um, voter suppression tactics like uh, um, purging, which yep. is not illegal. But how they're going about it is it's, problematic without any transparency. Yeah. Or you have voter caging where they send you those postcards in the mail, you know, to try to check and see whether you are eligible to and whether you reside there. And if you don't fill it out, they remove you then from the rolls. Yep. But how many of us, I, I remember like Saturday was Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons were coming oh. back. And so everyone's like, don't move, stay still. Right. Your mom would be, be like, Sit up, turn the TV down, turn the <laughs> right, TV down, right. turn the TV down. No one moves. Everyone just sit. Right. If someone peeps out the window and make sure that it's clear. Right. But like, that's what, that's the time that they come. Correct. And so you you get it in the mail. And if you don't feel out, because I'm not going to lie to you, I don't respond well to spam, not even in, you know, in email, but definitely not in my mailbox. Exactly. And so you have people who are not filling it out because they think it's spam. It's not credible. And the government is using that to remove. And of course, they're not doing it in the super zip codes. Yeah. It's happening at, you know, grandma and them's house and auntie and them. And, and, you know, down the street, it's, it's in these neighborhoods that are filled with historically marginalized communities. And so I would say that that is a level where we have to be engaged by what I call voter vigilance. Yeah. So if we're going to say that um, once, you know, I'm a senior advisor to uh, Reverend Jackson's National Commission for Voter Justice. And in one of the hearings that we had in Florida, one of the witnesses said, when it comes to the right of voting rights, that we are in a second civil war. Mm. That's quite a strong imagery. Um, And so when I heard that, it really told me if we're in warfare, then we have to respond differently than in times of peace. Right. And voter vigilance then says, I need to always know my status. Voter purging only works when people are unaware that they were kicked off. 
Yeah, and also unaware of the rules, right? Correct. Because, like, we saw so many people who were distraught and sad that they couldn't vote for Stacey Abrams yep. in Georgia uh, because their name was spelled wrong. Correct. Or or their name was spelled right, and because the uh, state government felt like it was a duplication because mommy is it had the same name yep. as, as daughter now. They've removed one of them from the roles, yep. and that's not right, that's not true, that's not just. Um, and so voter vigilance says know your status so that means you know what does that mean in 2020 that means that six months before i vote i go and i check my status on the on the state board of elections website yes. to see if they have me down and then three months later you know i check my my right to vote and make sure that i'm registered and then even the week before so on a regular basis if you are aware of what your status is you have a better chance of correcting it yes. because they are being scrupulous they are being very vindictive very. in this hour and we found that even some of the practitioners who were making sure other people were registered to vote were being purged themselves and that's why voter vigilance matters. So how can people engage in this? How can people one I I know you gave a couple examples for yourself. Mm-hmm. But what other what are some other ways that people can make sure one that they are register to vote two if they have a register vote when can they and then three how can we get more people in the movement like yeah people are in their local communities how can they help galvanize others in in this this fight so as far it as, is a fight right so as far as resources vote.org mm-hmm. it only takes two minutes and and often when i'm speaking on these panels nationally i'm like you know i literally have them go and take these two minutes check your status it it only takes a few minutes. Um, so you go to vote.org. Restore the Vote is another important website. So if you are a formerly incarcerated individual or what we call a returning citizen and you're not sure of when you're quote unquote off paper or what your status is, RestoreTheVote.com allows you to go on there and see within your state if you qualify and if you are able to then register to vote. And also remember too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are some states that allow register uh, offenders right those who are are released who have served their time to now vote so so yes so every state well four four states try to permanently disband those with felony convictions however um there are two states that allow you to vote while you're incarcerated and that is maine and that is vermont allow you while you're incarcerated yes and the district of columbia allows uh those that are incarcerated in the district of columbia jail to vote yes so that's very important to know as well yes and so but then the rest of them they have varying which is part of the confusion right they have varying levels where either upon release um, you are able to register and vote or after you've completed probation or Mm -hmm. others parole or probation and parole and a year after and so that's why we do need a more universal Yes. Standard that just says upon release. Yes. I mean, although ideally we need to allow them like Vermont and Maine to vote while they are in. Because there's no crime that one could commit that should actually result in them being stripped of their citizenship. There, there just isn't. I'm not saying you. some people shouldn't be locked up in, in certain cases, but your ability to still vote should still, you know, should remain. The elected officials, the policies still impact you and probably right. at a greater rate, yep. which is unfortunately or fortunately, uh, you're being re- rehabilitated. Hopefully, yep. you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but you shouldn't be at like this loss. Right. Because you did something else. Like, why are you punished to lose the right? So what's the website uh, those individuals can go to again? It's uh, Restore the Vote. 
RestoreTheVote.com, as it is, restoration, right? Yes. Restore the vote. Yes. Um, but the other thing, to your point, D.C. jails, mm -hmm. because now D.C. is, we closed Lorton, mm -hmm. which was our prison system. So many of our um, people who are incarcerated past jail are actually exported out yes, to far, other states. Far Correct. Away. Like Montana, like some of California. these other spaces, California. Yes. Um, but when it, you're talking about jail, which there is a difference between jail and prison, we can have that class. Yeah. Yes. Some other time. We will educate you all <laughs> on the jail prison system. Right. But what people don't know is until you have actually been um, indicted and, and, you know, and convicted of something, you Sentence. still have the right yep. to vote. Even if you're in pretrial detention, yep. those in pretrial detention, it's about 500,000 people in the country in pretrial detention that either are unaware that they have the right to vote. But then also, of course, we have an access problem because yes. there are not polling precincts then in these jails. However, shout out to Cook County, Illinois. That's because where Cook I'm County from. Had in, in, I want to say it was 2018, I believe. 16 to 18. Please don't hurt me, y'all, in Illinois. But Kim Fox, uh, our uh, amazing, amazing Cook County State's Attorney, yep. uh, definitely made sure that that happened. They did. And, and they made sure that, you know, you can now go into, um, if, you're, if you are detained, Yes. You now they the sheriff signed off on this, the State Board of Elections. And in fact, now in 2019, Governor Pritzker made that a little more available statewide. Yes. Um, to be able to make sure that those that are caught up in that pretrial detention stage are able to vote. Um, but then as far as what people can do, we have a long history, even when we talk about the civil rights movement and voting rights movement. Um, there is still no force of mobilization like the faith based community. Yeah. And particularly the black church shout okay. out to the black church shout out um, to all the pastors bishops exactly deacons the deacon exactly. board deaconesses they've been doing prison ministry right they've mm -hmm. been doing all these other things and so you can get engaged with your church that's community oriented yes churches have the ability um to talk on the issues mm -hmm. you don't have to and i even you know tell my clients please don't uh, drink the wine and, and stay with a party. Yes. <laughs> it's about the issues. And so you can talk about the issues, make sure that they are engaged and aware. But then as well, when we're talking about making sure if everybody's able to vote, think about it if the pastor allowed a day where all these millennials that are in y'all's churches can sit there and take and walk grandma and them through the website yes. to make sure that they are, are registered to vote. And if not, they have the ability to rectify it. You got souls to the polls that you can, yes. you know, continue to go. You got early voting. There's these infrastructures, there's different ways that community, because especially in black and brown community uh, uh, communities, we have always thrived by helping each other. That's right. And that's how we're going to continue to make this, making sure that voter vigilance says, after I make sure I'm aware, I'm going to make sure my neighbor's aware. That's I'm right. going to make sure that the other people down there, that yes. I got us, we got each other. Right. Yes, yes. Um, and so, you know, that that's what, that's how people can get engaged. I'm so happy to hear this. So, I don't like to go too political, mm -hmm. but a lot of things happen. And I'm, I'm actually going to like let people know what week this is. We are today is actually February the 8th. Yes. God. Not that I'm like, counting. It feels like January, like 39th. Um, <laughs> January was the longest year of oh my, my life. Oh my God, it was. And it's getting longer because I feel like it's blown over into February. Hence my next question. We just saw not only an impeachment trial. Mm-hmm. We saw 
the craziest State of the Union slash Oprah Winfrey show yeah. slash Ellen <laughs> slash Maury right. I've ever you seen. You get exploited. You get exploited. You right. all get exploited. Yeah. You are all exploited. <laughs> oh, and then also a Friday night debate. And then the fire Festival of Elections. <laughs> the fire Festival. <laughs> how, 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 how can someone believe the process works, right? The democratic process works. Yeah. And we're in this election cycle and all of this happens. Yeah. Like what the blood clot? So, yes. That, I just said that. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I, I want to say this, I'll start by saying this. 2020 looks just like 2016 in the sense that it was the Democrats to win or lose. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just the 63 million people mm-hmm. that voted for Donald Trump. That it wasn't got just there. white women who made Correct. this happen. Although, white ladies, we love you. We love you drinking the rosé and listening. <laughs> However, come and talk to your mama, talk to your cousins, talk to your aunties, right. your grandmamas, your grandmother's best friends at the nursing home. You yep. got to get into your communities as well and mobilize. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, it, and it wasn't just them. Given that we acknowledge the Electoral College, more than yeah. popular vote, right? Way more than what you had is um, black and brown people mm-hmm. in what they want to call the Obama wall, right? In, yep. in, in Wisconsin, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, the Midwest, right? That set this vote out because neither party was taking them seriously. Well, and that's what happens in the Midwest, right? After Iowa, no one cares unless it's Ohio, right? So you still have not only like states like Kansas, Missouri, Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. We have a huge surplus of people in those states. And diversity. And so, you know, we have- Except for like Iowa. Right. And so, and that's my point. I think we're coming to a time now where the Democratic Party is in the midst of a civil war on who they want to go after. They will acknowledge that, you know, 98% of African-Americans, you know, that's that's our number of voting for them. Yeah, because we are loyal. Right, 78%, right? However, then who they feel that they lost and what they're going after may not always be, or I would question that strategy. Um, And so we see that play out when we put such an emphasis on Iowa, Mm-hmm. When Iowa is hashtag like the Oscars, so white. Yeah. Um, 94% white, you yeah. know. Yeah. And and so it's not a good litmus test. It is not a good litmus test of how it will fare for the rest of the country. And then when they decide above all things to put together an app, again, I'm not trying to be an ageist, but who decided God. to let them do an app in a space that is um, overwhelmingly mature? Our well, citizenry has, is overwhelmingly well, mature. Well, like, let's also talk about this issue that's up there in Iowa uh, because I'm from a Midwest state, right? Broadband access. Right, right. If I can't get on the internet right. to do my homework, to do my job for my business, create a business, how in God's green earth right. am I going to get on an app to caucus? And let's yep. even talk about the caucus. Like, right. Why are we still caucusing? Correct, which is not as democratic as as we need it to be. But then on top of that, you decide not to carry out 
a test run. Oh my God. There's so no- you're, you're taking a Superman size leap, right? When <laughs> something you've never done before and you don't even think to do testing and evaluation, which those of us in contracting and those of us in tech know that's a must. And, and let me be honest with you. Like I am not a tech person at all. Like I can barely plug in my laptop. Yeah. I am one of those people, like, I can write. Control-Alt-Delete, and oh, if it doesn't work, come I, here, come here. I'm like, wait, where's the IT guy? Um, if I know that if you have something new, even if, even if you're like, it's amazing, we put all this money and resource into it, did you put any money into testing maybe a couple people? right. Right. They didn't even test it. They did not. And so now we're still in uncertainty. There has not been, you know, if check just before, they still haven't called a decisive winner. It, yeah, because Mayor a Pete made a, a yeah, yeah, he, he said he, that he won. He took a he took a bold political move. He took a, a bold political move by going in and taking a pre-victory lap, right? I mean, that's pretty privileged. And but. that if that is not very privileged, I don't know what is. And I mean, I'm not I'm not tripping on the mayor, you know, and I'm not tripping on privilege. If you have it, hey, congratulations to you. That's not sort of what Jesus wanted for me, my people. Uh, well, that might also explain though why some people are struggling to make inroads well, in communities that they need that support. I was going to say it's a result. (laughs) You may not understand what it's like to struggle and persevere. Right, right. And so, you know, I think that most of us, so while Iowa happened, and to your point, whoever decided that a Friday night needed to be when New Hampshire had their debate because wasn't nobody watching that. Uh, the it, week that we had, right. they, they should have just been like, we canceling all of it. Like the DNC should have been like, never mind. We're, we're canceling because the only people that were tuned in is exactly the same status quo. Yep. And so, you know, everybody else, meanwhile, is sipping their tea waiting for South Carolina. Well, and I would say this. Super Tuesday. How many people of color actually really knew that there was another debate happening on Friday night. It wasn't publicized. Right. It was like, it's only in New Hampshire because of the New Hampshire, you know, vote. Um, and then also, like, then all of a sudden, we allowing Bloomberg to, you know, just come on and show up. Well, and, and, I, and I think that... I think that part of this thing, when I say it was the Democrats to win or lose, as I'm, I'm looking tea, at the as I'm looking at the tea leaves, right? That's happening here. When you focus so much on things like Iowa, or when the DNC changes, I'm going to use the term magically changes. <laughs> it's going to be delicious, their, right? They magically change their protocols for eligibility. Only after you had Booker who dropped, and again, I'm not trying to be shady, but he it's not like he didn't make it clear. He was at that for 99 cents a day. You can keep me in a campaign. He was mode. like, I am in a rural farm village in Africa. Right. And I have these beautiful black babies that you can help feed for 99 cents. Right, right. that's and where he was. He literally was like telling people, like, I'm trying to stay in this because I have a bigger purpose. Yep. Kamala Harris. Oh. um, uh, uh, Julian. uh, Julian Castro. You know, people, the people of color were struggling and so now all of a sudden to remove this as a very, it looks like, even if that was not the the intent, the optics look like you did this for Bloomberg who is a wealthy 
privileged right white man who is like almost everything against the Citizens United that supposedly, you know, Democrats want to change is. So they want to be aware of not only their optics, but the intentionality of this moment. Yeah, because I'm telling you, I've heard it myself. The same people who set out strategically the 2016 to let the rest of the country feel Mm -hmm. what some of us have been feeling all of our lives. seem like they are just as ready. Yeah. To let us experience that again. I don't even have words. (laughs) Like, it's just so... mm. I just want to make sure everybody realizes the importance of what Breon has said today. Like, if you don't know your status about voting... Mm-hmm. I mean, go check out your HIV status and go check out your voting status. Exactly. Do both of them on the same day. Exactly. Like, do yourself a service. Do some self-care, as you talked about, mm-hmm. when working into advocacy. Uh, the self-care is making sure you know your status. Yep. Um, and if, once you find out your status, teach somebody else. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I'll say this, too, to those that, you know, maybe, and I'll say rightfully so, disenfranchised or disenchanted with this system. Um, I think that there was a wrong strategy when part of what the Democrats' messaging was in 2016 was vote the lesser of two evils. Yes. Millennials were like, but evil is still evil. Like, duh. Yeah, you know? they're it like, was, but like, why would I want evil to persevere? Exactly. When what the message should have been is vote your strategy. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not going to find a candidate who is going to 100% fit your bill and they, vote they to don't win exist. sorry exactly vote to win so so when i look at when i go to the ballot box i look at who is that political animal who understands that if i gather me and five hundred thousand of my friends mm-hmm. they ain't they have no other choice but to listen to listen us. and to do what i say yeah you can find that you know that's what you need to do vote your strategy why did you go to the ballot box who lines up with that as close as possible because you're not gonna find somebody Every, that is a hundred percent it's just Obama, like dating love right. Obama, but he was not a hundred percent what everybody's cup of tea needed to be but we saw good times in that because many people either voted their strategy Yes, right. And so that's what I encourage people to do. As you go and register, you vote. The reason we put an emphasis on registering is if you're more likely to register, that increases the likelihood that you are to turn out the vote. Yes. And if you go and vote your strategy, you are less likely to go home feeling empty handed. Yes. And we all need to remember one, 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 one really important thing. Go vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't care if you... Don't even like anyone. Yep. Go vote. And vote damn ballot. Even if you're not feeling the presidential candidates, those of you who are out there talking about police brutality, vote for your DA or vote against, vote them down. Like you have stake and power. I spend all my time at the Daniel Initiative helping my clients wisely manage their political and social capital. Yes. And so here I am giving y'all for free. (laughs) Make sure that you understand exactly the political power that you have and have accumulated. Everybody has political capital. That's right. Some of us have more than others, but everybody has political capital. Invest your political capital wisely towards this greater strategy yes. so that you can get the receipts that you need. Vote, just vote, people. We can't do this no more. I can't, like, seriously, I mean, like, people are like, I'm going to move to Canada. You ain't moving nowhere. You're not. You're not. So go vote. <laughs> Marcus Garvey, we're moving to Africa. <gasps> 
I mean, who got a ship for all of us who are playing? We don't own ships and playing that big to get us all there. Well, they'll have space because there'll be one less. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going. So there's space for somebody. I mean, I'm like, we good here, and I mean, like, it's beautiful to visit, but like, I live here, and I want here to be good, right? Because why do I have to move somewhere? Right. Where I can also fall susceptible to whatever is happening there yep. in the political environment. That that's important. That we make the distinction that I refuse to abdicate my political power. Amen. I refuse to let somebody else speak for me. I refuse to deal with this status quo and say that has to be life for me. We can change this if we're unified. That's right. Let's unify. So, Brian, how can people connect with you? Absolutely. So I'm on the Twitters, as they say. The and, tweets. And, <laughs> and Instagram. So on Instagram, it is I am Brian Wells. So letter I, letter M, Brian Wells. Can you spell Brian? Yes, B R E O N W E L L S. Yes. My, my father, he mixed Brandon and Leon. So, you oh, know, what's that? His shout name? out to the smorgasbord. No, so shout out to the smorgasbord <laughs> names that we got up out, out in here. Yeah. But, um, and then on Twitter, it's at RealDaniel24, as in the Daniel Initiative, at RealDaniel24. You know, definitely please follow us. Our goal is to help make sure we're increasing the number of public policy people yes. from these marginalized communities. I mean, that doesn't mean that everybody has to be in Capitol Hill or in these think tanks. That's right. I'm proudest that some of our, we have a fellowship program. I'd be remiss. I almost missed that. Oh, did you see this? I was trying to sell it. <laughs> so we had, you know, we, we've been in existence in uh, the Feb- February 12th. We would have been in existence, the for-profit, for 12 years. Yes. Um, and then six of those years, we have had a fellowship program that was attached to the for-profit. Um, in August of last year, we turned it into a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, and so we've been providing opportunities, these paid fellowship programs yes. for black and brown people, for historically marginalized people yes. to be able to come to D.C., afford to be in D.C. and get for three months really this intense Ooh, experience on learning how to navigate the hill, how to navigate the executive branch, um, how to find and stay in time with their grassroots organizations and we talk and the focus is on policy um, on how they do that and I'm glad to say that in the six years that we had it before we turned it to a nonprofit, some of our alumni have gone back to uh, the streets as activists as they're called to be but they have a better understanding of how how things work because for instance we focus too much on the presidency Mm -hmm. Congress has the power of the purse Congress has the ability to declare war. Congress is the only one that can write legislation, right? right. And so all too often, we put our attention in the wrong space um, where the power is actually concentrated in the legislative branch, which means that's where our receipts are being held. That's where we need to focus. And so, you know, that's our goal. That's our aim. We're trying to incite this movement to make sure that more of us that are directly impacted are at the table speaking for ourselves as part of our liberation. I'm here for this. One more time, how can someone find you to get an internship or fellowship? Excuse me. Yeah, so it's the, quite different. You said you, it's three months paid. That's huge because many black and brown people do not have the ability to move from wherever you are from absolutely. to D.C., which is one of the most expensive places to live in the absolutely. country and live there for three months. Because, yeah. y'all, the receptions are nice, but they, they are not they failing. They are not that nice. And, <laughs> and the reason we pay them, we see that as an investment. 
in the future. Yes. We can't say that there's systemic and institutionalized racism and then not go 110% then to fight that. Yeah, so I we agree. don't provide a status quo fellowship. Our fellows are writing white papers. They're writing memos. You know, they are producing these receipts so that when they leave here, yes. that's how they're able to go and say, well, this is a uh, this is an example of how I made a decision because mm-hmm. that memo has their name on it. Yes. I, I don't need to build my resume. God has blessed me tremendously. This is about them building their resume. And so I built it off of two words, access and opportunity. Because I find mm. if you give people access, more often than not, they rise to, to the, the occasion yes. and use that opportunity to do amazing things. So it's called the Daniel Initiative SET Project. SET stands for Support, Equip, and Train. And you can go to www.tdiset.org. So T as in Thomas, D as in Daniel, I as an in initiative, yes. SET.org. And the application is there. We made sure that it's accessible. It's for people with graduate experience, undergrad, or even those that all you have is your high school diploma by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, one of ours that we had you met yes. Albert Reed. He's amazing. Um, he was formerly incarcerated. He had life without parole and got out in May 19th. Two of my clients had worked hard to get him out. Yes. Um, and so he is one of those that we have been equipping and empowering to work and advocate for his own liberation. Amen. Rian, this has been more than awesome. I want to just say thank you so much for coming to the Rosé Hour podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. I know people are like, well, what's the Rosé? Well, you know what? Today we took a break from the Rosé and had Canada Dry. Absolutely. Green tea with ginger ale. It's also a great substitute because it's sparkly, just like champagne rosé. Look, and, and and let me say this. Let me help you out as a fellow podcaster. So Canada Dry, you can sponsor. Yes. Rosé. Yes. <laughs> we are looking for you to be a sponsor as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Kristen and I did this segment of This Could Be You, where we refused to give any shout outs and endorsement ah. until they pay, because that's that's how you got to run this game. I, I understand, because normally I will throw that, but hey, this Canada Dry, listen, good. it is good. All right, guys, we want to thank Brian again. Thank you, Brian. My pleasure, my sister. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> to the green tea. <laughs>